welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com Cassie will introduce today's guest. This week on episode 467, we bring Marcus back to tell us about floggers. A listener wrote in to ask about the differences between cheap and expensive floggers. Marcus goes into detail about how they are made and how to get the most out of a flogger in a scene. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max and Cassie. We have a great guest today that has been on the show recently. Marcus from Texas. How are you today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? We're here in the frozen time of the year and freezing our asses off. It's all good. Yeah. I sympathize with that. All two of us in the South, we don't like this temperature. Not used to this. The reason you're on is people have been asking me about what the difference in floggers are. They want to get a flogger and they're confused. They're not sure where to go to get a flogger. They've gone to sex shops and they find these really high quality $10 floggers there. And you, you laugh. I do. So tell me, what kind of cheap crap are those things, and what would you expect out of them? Not much, I'm sure. No, you're going to find leather, that a low-grade leather. If it's poorly made, not balanced, they're typically just as quick as they can get them made out the door. That's why they're charging what they are. So it's the bottom of the barrel leather scraps that they're gluing together. And it's a short shelf life. They're just poorly made of poor material. So you, to a point, you will get what you pay for with floggers. And there is the opportunity to pay overpay. But when you see something that's $200 in its comparison and a sex shop is $25, you're literally getting what you pay for. Okay. So let's talk about what makes a flogger a $200. You have a lot of finer materials You have craftsmanship. You talked about balance. Why don't you go over the different parts there? So between the flogger, if we just break it down into two main groups, you have the tails, which are also called falls. There's multiple different names for them, but for just reference, we'll call them tails. And then you have the handle. Things that typically vary between that are off cosmetic, like whether or not it has a wrist strap or whether or not it has Turk's heads on it, or it's just different things, but there's always the handle and the tails. And as anyone can tell you, if you've ever thrown a baseball bat, the difference between a weighted bat and an unweighted bat. So everything has to be a balance because you're holding onto the handle and you're throwing the tails. And if the weight is off center, it's going to feel like you're trying to throw it out of your hands every time you go to throw them. You'll find that you're getting a lot of strain when it's trying to pull away from you. For people that just throw it around once or twice, they picked it up at the sex shop, it made good for Halloween, they broke it out, and they're swinging it once or twice, they would never notice the difference, nor do they really need to know the difference. But if you're interested in flogging, then the materials that it's made out of, the craftsmanship it's made with, and how it balances out are some of the main criteria that you have to look for. And when it comes to the cosmetics, that's when you can start paying a greater price. But the material and the craftsmanship should always be a a standard, which will bring the balance needs to come in so that the tails are offset by the weight of the hand. And those cheap ones that you're picking up, they're typically the weights one way or the other. I've seen both. I've seen 
I have literally seen PVC handles that they used for a handle and uh, you could just bend it in half and it was so hollow there was no weight to it and i've seen people use steel handles as well so that there's weight in your hand but the tails have no weight at all to it so there's a give and take that you have to do with it and i spent a lot of time trying to find this happy spot that it's the thickness of the leather the width of the leather and how long the tails are make a difference on how that weight is in that how wide the handle is, how much weight you have counterbalanced on it, and how long it is will make a difference in the handle. So if your handles are too long and your tails are too short or your tails are too long and your handle's too short, it just becomes a vicious thing of trying to find that right fit where artisans that have spent the time to do it, I want to arrogantly say perfected the trade to where they understand that it's a give and take and have spent the time to get that balance. But those people that are just looking to throw something together real quick are the ones that are just selling to the sex shops. Nobody's invested that time because that takes time, effort, material, and just quality of craftsmanship. And you're not going to get that for 10 bucks. I can't buy the leather that goes in just the handle, my cost, at wholesale cost. I can't afford to put $10 to make just the handle. Let's talk about leather. What do you use? I use a variety of different hides because I, I focus a lot on custom leather, but the primary, what I use is a hide called giant calf, which is a cow hide. Uh, I use oil tan, which is also a cow hide and it's called oil tan because of the process of tanning. Just easiest to put it at that. I use Buffalo and those are the primary different grades that I use, but I've done variations of deer hide to rabbit fur to elk skin. It's all a variation depending on what the customer's wanting, but I've found that between those three variations, I can cover most person's preference or variations of preference on those to get in general. And then I took those hides and I make different styles in those hides for different types of sensations for just jump off in it. What I call my standard flogger is what I always recommend everybody starts with because it's also the cheapest that I have. So it's not a price point on it. You have customization options that don't require it to be an increased expense. And it will be a worthy investment to decide if you want to continue expanding your collection. But it won't do the extremes. So it's versatile enough to where it can be thudding or it can be stinging because those are the two main criteria that most people are going to have a preference on. They want thudding or they want stinging and they don't want it to be the other or they want both. And the standard is a little thudding. It can be a little stinging. It's a little light, but it's also a little heavy. So it's a little of this and a little of that. And from there, if you decide you want to increase your arsenal, for lack of better words, then I would move you up to the oil tan. And the oil tan takes more skill to use. And with that comes more capability. So I can make it very thuddy, or I can almost put you to your knees with it being thuddy. But I can also almost leave marks on you like you got hit with a single tail because I can make that sting. But that's not something that I could hand to somebody that's just starting to learn how to use a flogger and expect them to get those same results. It's both learning the skill as well as learning 
the product in your hands. And that's the variation, but of course it goes from a single to a double. If you want to learn how to Florentine, there's so many different versatilities you can take with that one set. If you start off with a standard, you can, there's a lot of practice you can get in that and a lot of use. So it depends then on if you want to change the sensation. And if you want something more stingy, then I can point you in the direction for that. If you want something more thuddy, I can put you in the direction for that. But between the standard and the oil tan are what I make the most sets of because those are a constant two-handed. You can use them to keep yourself occupied for a long time. And because the balance to weight ratio is there, you're not going to wear yourself out when you want to go have a good flogging session. But if there's alternatives, so you just want something thudding, you don't want a two-handed, then one of the individual purchases that I get a lot, or orders that I get, is for what I call a braided. It's made out of the same material that the oil tan is, but I braid each of the tails. So overall, between a braided flogger is 680 braids that are in the tails. And I made it as a test. And I really thought, not going to lie, I thought it was going to be a complete and utter flop because I thought it would just fan out the minute you throw it. But somehow the weight of everything, the way it balances out is it falls very, what I call falling true which means it falls in kind of a fanned pattern, but not fanning out to where you have uncontrollable tails. You want it to fall in a relatively tight group. And that's where the balance comes in when you start talking about the tails is if they're too wide, they'll catch too much air. If they're not thick enough, which in leather is called the ounce weight, if they're not thick enough, then they won't have enough weight to fly through the air. And that's what could cause things to be stingy. And if the tails are too long, they'll have a different effect. If they're too short, they'll have a different effect. So it's finding that happy medium between width, length, and then also how many are in there. The cut at the end of the tail also affects how it feels. Yes and no. It does if you're hitting on the tails. But depending on the type of leather that it is, technically you hit with halfway mark on the tails not the tips. So if you weighted the tips, then how you cut them will make a difference. But whether you have them beveled or if they're squared won't make so much of a difference. But if you were to V-notch them to make them to points, then that literally is going to change how they fly. So yeah, devil's that, tongue. a devil's tongue would be a single tail or a single strip out there. But yeah, if you looked at each one of the tails, how that would fly differently because you're putting such a dramatic cut in there, it could make a difference. I have a flogger that has half the falls or devil's tongue and half are points. Uh, yeah, that would be a very stingy beast. <laughs> yes, and it's heavy. So nice. if I throw into it and land it in a ways, it's like crazy. But if I pull back, I can sting with it. Yep. And it's learning your skill and learning your trade. So one of the most common things that I get asked for custom order wise that's not available on my site is probably to get made what i call a mop and i think we've all probably heard the slang of it but essentially what defines a mop is it is a and it's just a shitload of tails on the end of a handle and that can have quite a few different variations of it where two-handed to single-handed to i've seen 
quite a few different variations of these beasts, but their intimidation factors, they're one or two times use. They're not something you're going to go Florentine with for hours. You're going to use them for a short period of time. And in those, you you have to wait for Oh, yeah, because you're not going to do it for long. I have a fire hose paddle that I use is very much the same thing. It's a beast to hold. It's it's just a big thing, and it has its whole perspective intimidation factor that goes along with it. It backs it up on your own. But it's not something that I'm going to line up 10 to 15 bottoms and just see how long I can make it out on because I'm not going to survive. But with a set of floggers, I'll go all day long. It's especially the right set. But even my oil tan, which are my personal favorites, my personal set of those, even after a while for them, I've got to put them down because you're still throwing weight. And it's get quite exhausting, man. You can maybe ask a baseball pitcher how long it takes before his arms wore out from just throwing a baseball. And this is one of the traps that you're going to run into. When I first bought my very first flogger was one of these big mops. And I went out and threw it and it was killing me. First off, I wasn't used to flogging. And secondly, I had to put so much energy in it. I couldn't last very long with it. And so I went back and I bought another one about three quarters of the size and now that one I could go with. Yeah, it makes a big, huge difference that everybody has a different way they're going to start. And a lot of people that may be listening to this, they're going to do is they're going to price shop, as we do with everything else. They'll get on Amazon, they'll go search the websites. But unfortunately, some of these floggers, and just toys in period, not just floggers, but literally toys, period. Some of the things... You're never going to know until you have it. And that's one thing that because floggers are not a Walmart brand. There's not people just lining up to put them in Walmart, but they're also not the other side of the industry where you have named brands that people are following. That's where House of Marcus is coming. That I don't care if you find it online. I don't see, care if you find it in an event or you find it in a storefront. If you find the House of Marcus quality or House of Marcus coin that's in the hill, you find that on there. It's mine, and I have a lifetime warranty. So as long as you've taken care of that flogger the way that it was meant to be taken care of and use it the way that it's supposed to be taken care of, I'll never have to. If anything goes wrong with it, I'll take care of it hands down. But I've been making these for going on nine years now. And I'm not going to jinx myself, but let's just say that I got a good track record in my nightmares, to say the least. And I've had them in storefronts. I have them in storefronts. I have them on my websites. They're available on other stores' websites. You go to leathermarkets.com. I have my affiliates that are on there to go shopping for these things. But my hardest problem to do is to get it in somebody's hands the first time. And that's where there's a leap of faith. But once it's in your hands the first time, then all my customers are repeat customers. They order from me their first standard, and then they call me back wanting a twin for it, and then we just continue to move on from there. Most of them, we do other projects as well. So color is um, certainly one of your high points. You can get a vast array of colors. Absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, the color options on it is something... That to me, whether I put, so in a flogger handle, my my style is what is called an A-plat. And the plat is the design that goes down the handle. 
there's many different ways to do it and we'll just stick with what the options are on mine before you, it gets too complicated. But I typically do most floggers in a two color combination. So if you order a red and black, but black's always the predominant color because it's, it fits nice. I have changed those up, but to me, if I order red hide, or black hide is the same expense to me. I'm not charging my customers different because I put a different color hide in it. That only time that really ever is a major effect is if it's something I can't get from my standard supplier because I order straight from the tannery. I don't have a middleman between me and them. I'm stuck at some lead times, <laughs> but I do keep a, a vast amount on hand for what most people are looking for. And I've actually started building these live on TikTok. So Marcus Leathers has a TikTok page. If you go to that during the day, I'm actually building them live where my customers and everybody can sit back and watch me literally build these things while we discuss lifestyle topics. They usually pretty much everything of alternative lifestyle. But I'm also given the option that I've had several of my customers would get on the TikTok and I would actually let them pick out how I plat the handle out so that they can literally watch their toy being made all the way for most of the steps until I'm putting in the package the next day. And it's been quite fun, actually. Come up with some pretty interesting concepts where you can literally put, let people show them what leather I have and as well as they can pick out how to make it right on live. On the average, how long does it take you to start to finish one? So I... I get asked this question all the time. I do not ever build one flogger from start to finish at one time. I can only calculate what it takes because when I pull out a hide, I have to scope the whole hide out. And then I have to cut out what I call my squares. And then from my squares, I have to turn around and cut out all my strips. I'm going to go from the different knots and the different plating. And I make piles of all this stuff. And then I pull out another hide and I do it again. So when I take my black, which is my predominant color, I'll pull out an entire black hide and I will cut the whole thing down into these different options that I have. And then somebody orders red, I will pull from my stack of red because I cut up all my red and put it in the same pile. So I sit there and cut it all up. And if somebody asks for a color that I don't have cut, then I'll pull that hide out. But instead of just cutting the one the customer wants, I will cut four to five more and have it all stand by. And then I strip all the tails. I'll literally have a stack of them, and I'll sit there and cut all the tails off. It's Everything comes in different stages, and I never do just one at a time. I'm typically doing anywhere. Different stages on it could be anywhere from 5 to 25 that I'm doing of that stage. Between the handles, the tails, the plaiting, the Turk's heads, the final assembly is actually maybe a third of the time that gets invested in it. And that's what I'm able to put on live. And while we're occupying time, I'm sitting there cutting tails, but I cut the tails, I set them over to the side and somebody says, hey, I want someone I can literally just reach behind me and grab an already set of tails cut and then we can start putting it together. But my last calculated time that it took me to build one, when I added all the math together, from start to finish, it roughly takes me about four hours. Okay. We get this a nice flogger in the mail and we're throwing it around the house just to see how it flies and wait to go down to the dungeon and take it out for test drive. And so we have a couple really good scenes with it. 
Now let's talk about care and feeding of the flogger. Now it's absorbed a certain amount of sweat and maybe some dirt because the dungeons aren't the cleanest place. What are we going to do to keep this thing looking new? So my first advice that I do on this, and this is a cop out, contact your local boot black and get their advice on how to take care of that type of leather. Because the way you would take care of the leather that's made into my standards and my electrics is different than the way you would take care of my oil tans. And all of those are different than you would take care of the buffalo. And that's not because of my construction. It's just literally the different types of leather need different care. And that's also why I try to keep down the types of leather that I work with because then I have to get a whole new care package. One size does not fit all. It does not fit all. But as long as you know what your leather's made out of, then it's easy to get the solutions for that. It's not rocket science because it's just there's oil tan conditioner and cleaner, and you would use those on my oil tan floggers. Then if you're listening to this and you're considering buying my standards, then you're going to take care of them the same way that you would take care of your leather jacket or a pair of motorcycle chaps or the same way you would take care of your vest with that same type of cleaner and condition. I do not have a brand that I am loyal to to say, use this, take care of all your problems. So depending on what it is, if we're talking about sweat and dirt and grime, I mean, throwing around stuff like that, standard leather cleaner will work for you. And then afterwards, condition it. And condition is just going to bring a little bit more life back into it. It's like lotion, I guess, the easiest way to put on leather. But the one thing you never want to do, and I don't care if this is with my floggers or someone else's, is when you go to clean the tails, the biggest mistake that everybody makes is whether it's a squirt liquid cleaner conditioner you're putting on there, or if it's a dry one or a cream, you know, many different variations on it, but people drag it down the tails. Do not do that. Again, it doesn't matter who made this. Do not put the cleaner conditioner on there and drag it down the tails because what you will do is you will stretch those tails and they will start to get longer. And they will not stretch evenly and you will end up with four or five longer tails as you're stretching this leather out and they become those single points of contact by themselves, which 90% of the time means you're going to be safe. But if you're going to do it, lay down some paper towels, you can, if you're using like a liquid cleaner that's in a spray bottle, spray it down on the paper towels and then dab it. Just use paper towels and just dab it. Do not like, grab a hold of it and try to drag it down. Just, so you lay it out on a table, fan yes, it out. Lay, fan it all out, just like you would like a broom. You can squirt or rub whatever it is you want on there. Just when you're rubbing it, don't drag. Just dab it on there, take another paper towel, dab off the excess. But especially with the conditioner, it's meant to soak in. So follow the instructions of what it says, you know, how much to leave on there, access for it to soak in and dry and depending on your temperature and stuff. Soak it in. I know a submissive that borrowed a flogger from a dog because she wanted to have it played on her, and she did. And then she to return it to him, she cleaned it with alcohol. And the colors faded. Yeah, I'm sure he was a happy camper. Yeah, those are never evers. <laughs> yeah, this also gives you, depending on the age of the flogger and how much, what kind of condition it was in, 
to that point. That it's one of the things that you'll get from these cheaper floggers that you'll find from 10 to 15 to 20, 30 bucks. The colors that are in them, they're superficial color because they're typically very vibrant or vibrant. But those very vibrant colors, all they are is a layer of paint on the surface. And that layer of paint on the surface, when you hit something like alcohol, separates from the leather. And that's when it flakes off. So it's another quality check in the leather is that if the top side and the bottom side are dramatically different colors, you might want to get you a different grade of leather. Because that's where the cheaper ones are because they just put, it's cheaper. They don't penetrate the leather without getting into the whole schematics of different grades of leather. When something says top grain, mid grain, full grain, those classifications just, you look at it and the surface of the leather, the finish side, is different from the rough side, which buying a flogger can see that. Those two colors are dramatically different. You need to look at what you're buying. I'm not saying it's not always the case, but I will tell you, look at what you're buying. Black's an easy one to get away with. If you look at the black and it's dark, rich black, then you look at the bottom of it, it's like an ashy gray color. You get what you pay for them. That's really good advice because floggers are expensive and there are people that will charge a lot of money for a cheap flogger too. Yes. And that's where I said it's generally the rule of thumb is you'll get what you pay for. But if it's too good to be true price-wise, probably is. I've been building these for a long time and I've prided myself on only pricing what I would be willing to pay as a customer as well as to an artist. I'm not doing this to break the bank. I'm doing this to supply something because it got ticked off because I ordered the crap. I did. I ordered off a well-known website, and I'll try not to get banned on the whole thing, but I ordered from them. It came in with this shit. I can make better than this. But I didn't. I never put thought to the fact of taking my leather trade over into making something outside of what was pretty much in my wheelhouse already. And it just took the customers to bring it in. And this was 12, 13 years ago. And since then, everything that I've brought to the table, every new product, every new line is not anything that I came up with. It was because a customer came to me and asked for something that I had to design or figure out or what it was. I got the challenge of it. Then it was something that filled a void, especially when I got multiple customers. That's how the electric flogger came to play. As people were telling me it couldn't be done and they wanted something like it. They want to be able to throw a flogger and not be something that was had only a specific use. So I designed my regular flogger, everything you can do with my standard flogger, everything you can do with it, you can do with my electric flogger. With the exception of you can plug that electric flogger in and it has a bite now. On the electric flogger, do you put the charge on the flogger or the charge on the person and ground with the flogger? So the flogger works as an attachment. So it literally will plug into the wand, the Tesla wand, the violet wand, the neon wand, blah, 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 whatever. It plugs in as any other attachment would. And then there's a cable that goes into the hilt of the flogger. And then the person holding the handle is completely insulated. The tails then become conductive. So the person that's holding the wand and the flogger should be the same person, should, 
had a couple scenarios where it wasn't, but should be the same person. The tails are then electrified just as any other attachment would be that you would plug into the wall. So it's liable to touch anyone within reach. Including the person throwing it. That has been one of the things that I have learned the most about this is whenever I designed it, I was sending out several of my friends saying, I need you to come test this thing, put it through the paces. And it never dawned on me until that very moment of how many people will have their bottom, let's say, on a cross. They will take a step back and they will almost lean over and then they will throw the flogger over their back and then they will almost whip it as it goes straight to the center of the back on the bottom and they'll pull it back. It's just a very, it's not a unique move, but it wasn't one I realized that so many people did until it's electrified. Because then when they throw it over their own back, they get they hit, hit themselves uh-huh. and they continue with the motion of throwing forward, but they rarely are holding on to the floggers. So it's yeah. just throw the flogger at the bottom, which <clears throat> it's usually the whole shock and awe of realizing what they did. I can't ever keep a straight face during. So that would be an interesting first throw. Okay. It usually is because once I turn it on, they do the whole figure eight back and forth. They get a little playing with it. And then I'm like, all right, let's take this on. Let's roll with it. Not just not give me a quick demo on the fact. Use it as you would use it. And then they start going. And that's when they get wrapped up in the moment. And next thing I know, they you can watch them. They will take a step back. They will hunch over and lean forward. And they will set it right over their shoulder, the same shoulder that they're throwing with. And then they will whip it off that and they will go straight for the bottom. But as soon as it hits their back, (laughs) they just go ahead and launch it forward. And the flogger always goes flying every time. And let's see, the uh, pilot wand is turned up to 11. Oh, by the time they figure this out, we've already gone over the tricks of how you turn the wand up and down. and Probably already at their own wand at this point in time, instead of them taking theirs out of the box. Okay. So it's, did we'll say that did test in case anybody ever wants to try this there was the concern of crossing the streams for those of us that are old enough to remember ghostbusters that what would happen if i was doing a florentine with two electric floggers two different ones was tested will not blow anything up <laughs> carry on with it <laughs> um, because you are running a spark gap and that gives you isolation yeah, we were really concerned about whether or not it was going to go backwards. Yeah, I could see that. But it did not. I'd, I'd rather not dig any more into the um, the mechanics behind that. I'd rather just keep hitting that I believe button and believe that it, it did not because it didn't. That's all there is to it. All right. All of these are mainstream floggers. You mentioned that you did a rabbit tail flogger. What is the purpose of that one? The, aside from piss me off to no end, I'll just lead off with that. If you order a rabbit fur flogger for me, just know that half the price that you're paying for that is solely out of my frustration. Just period. That It's beautiful fur, but if you've never cut rabbit fur before, you don't understand the frustration. Once you start cutting that leather that has all this fur on it, this fur is so light and so short, it just instantly becomes airborne. And it will find every tickling place you can think of, especially your nostrils, because at some point in time, you're going to have to breathe. And this hair is just going to go right up there. And you will spend three days trying to get rabbit hair 
out of your nose from tickling. Okay. Respirator time. Yeah. I even went to the point of taking a spray bottle, wet down the leather, took it outside on a windy day, got upwind and cut it downwind of me and still ended up with that all. I just went into a complete and utter sneezing fit for 20 minutes. Okay. turned out beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. so anytime I, I, I get somebody that says, oh, I want a rabbit for a flogger, I just cringe. I'll, I'll make, I don't, no, I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> I cringe. What's the sensation of it? The sensation of a rabbit flur, if you were looking to build up just a flogging scene, what you want to do is you want to start light and progressively work yourself up as you figure out the skin and how sensitive they are. But if you just go straight into whaling on somebody with say like an oil tan, it can be too much too fast because this is all about the enjoyment of, we slowly build it back up. If you get the skin sensitive to feeling, then you can progressively feel ramp that up. Rabbit fur floggers are something that you can throw that are very soft and very subtle. So you start getting the skin woken up and start getting it attentive where nothing's that, that that instant shock and awe. So you're not taking them out of the mindset. So you can progressively build them up. That You can do something soft like that, or my recommendation, start off with the standards. Fuck that rabbit fur. But you can start off with those because they're made out of a very, one of the best quality leathers you're going to find out there. They're very soft as well. So you drag them up and down the skin. And then you slowly start making contact with it. And you progressively build it up so that it's not just, hey, let's go. And then going from zero to 900 miles an hour. So if you look at your bottom, it's like an engine, that if you let the engine warm up before you decide to go full throttle, you're going to get more response out of it. But if you just crank that thing up and you put it all the way to the floorboard, you're not going to get near as much use out of it, and it's not going to be taken care of more wear and tear. I do believe I did that a couple of times, and I got a very <laughs> cranky response from it too. Yeah. There, I'm not saying don't ever. I'm just saying there's a time and a place for it. But right. using rabbit fur flogger is something you would do building back up. Like I've got a bear claw, and I would much rather make those. Oh, those and are what, fun. those are a blast, and they're good to work up the skin because you do have. They're still made out of rabbit fur, but they have banjo picks that go over each one of the fingertips, so I can rub it over there. But if I curl my fingers, then the claws dig in. But it's not sharp enough to do any damage. What it does is leave red marks on the skin. But that gets the skin awake. Because if I went from that and then I slowly started working in a flogger, then I'm going to progress and build them up. And then I would start off with the standards, get down to where I've got them drifting off. And then I could transition over to the oil tans to keep the skin real going. But then from there, it would depend on whether or not they like stingy or thuddy. If they like thuddy, then I progressively may work it over to a single braided because it's just a lot of impact. But if they like stingy because of the versatility with the oil tans, I can make those stingy and it literally just changes my position to where instead of hitting half the tails on the back where it's very thud, I just slowly mark my distance from half the tail back. So my measurement solely by how much tails are making contact. And that's... One of the things to teach in the advanced flogging class is how we get away from just throwing a flogger. How do we make it do different things? Can you tell us the difference between a flogger and a cat? Uh, cat and nine tails, by definition, 
is nine strands of leather with knots on the end of it. If you look at a flogger and you look at a single tail whip, you will hear people refer to whips as a whip or a single tail. Because by definition, a flogger is also a whip. A single tail is also a whip. A dragon tail, dragon tongue, cat and nine tails, all these variations of names that go on are classified under the whip category. So a flogger is a classification by design. There is no manufacturer specifications standards that are set out there amongst powers that be to designate whether or not something is one thing or another for these fetish tools that we make. So the only definition we have to go with them is if we go back in history of what was commonly referred to as such, but we don't build them, make them, or use them for the intent that they did back when they were torture devices by definition. Nobody ever documented the correct way to build a flogger, a single tail, or a dragon tongue, or what specifications are in it. And something that's recognized amongst all masses. So a cat of nine tails, by definition, as described historically, is nine single tails that have knots or substance on the other end of them attached to a hand. A single tail, which is also known as a whip, bull whip, snake whip, stock whip, they all continue on, is a single strand with a cracker on the end of it. But then it's, it's, it's a quirk. Where do we separate a tasse that falls in the middle of this one? It's, there's too many definitions to go on. So hopefully if you're buying something, it's not just by the name that's read on it. You're actually looking at it or holding it in your hands and understanding what it's going to do. And the purpose of what it does, either for you to throw it or for the bottom to feel it, that sensation is more important than the name. I call mine floggers because it's what's recognized as such. And I've asked, been asked to make cat of nine tails, but then the designs they want a cat of nine tails is not a cat of nine tails. <laughs> but that's what they call it. And I'm not going to argue with the customer at all because yeah. all I've got to go by is what Webster says from his historical documents. But then by that definition, my floggers are not floggers, but there's not really a descriptive option on it, just what they do. I haven't found anything documented yet to specify the specifics on making a flogger that is in a recognizable historical context, only the purpose of them, and then a description of what they are like. And That's some I, reverse engineering in there. Absolutely. Especially for pictures and everything else. But again, the purpose for what they were designed for then is not what I use them for now. Because if I wanted to make this mean... There's just so many different ways that if this was literally designed to be me, that there's so many different variations that would change on things because I intentionally put stuff in these to make them nice that I can control. And that's, like I said, my standards are soft, they're subtle, but they can still pack a punch. But just throwing them out there is not the first time I hit. I'm not doing a warm-up torture device by description. Is I walk in there, I chain you up, we're just going to go to beating on you because I want something out of you. So it's supposed to suffer. Mine are not meant for you to suffer. Sensation. Exactly. So let's talk about the control point, the handle. That is where the top meets the flogger. Yes. And so what is the handle material? We know it's covered in leather. That varies by manufacturer. Like I said, I've worked on 
ones that I've done repairs for people that were steel handles. I've done one that was PVC. That was really baffling when I opened that one up. I've seen wooden handles to the fact that I've seen they're not covered in leather. They're just straight wooden handles. Uh, it's manufacturer specific, so I, I can only tell you as much as I'll release to the public on mine. And mine are a wooden core that has been drilled out and weighted to offset the balance. So it is both wood and steel in it, and then it gets wrapped, and then it gets a leather plat for decoration put on the outside of it. And that core is where I'm able to offset my weight to compensate for the tails so that it's not trying to throw out of your hand. But I've seen ones that were made of steel. I've made some. So it, again, it's by definition of flogger. I've made hurts. It's a very short single tail whip-ish type thing. that's very similar to a dragon tongue, but it's like a miniature dragon tongue. But all that they wanted the weight on, and they're designed to be just quick pulled out and popped and they use them cowboys use them for popping bulls and stuff on the nose so it's not long enough for a whip to get out there but it's right at your hip cowboys have been using them for years so i've actually done some rebuilds on some antiques that were more for historical context and that's when i actually had to take them apart which was a crying process that had a very meticulous work but then find out they were just using like a metal shank so it depends on who built it and what they designed because some people think that if it's heavy, <clears throat> it's worth more. So cheap manufacturers, knowing that, they will put intentional weight in something just so it's, oh, this feels because it's heavy. And not necessarily balanced. More than likely not, not balanced because that balance is a math thing. It's a give and take. So the handles are either really light or really heavy. And the really heavy is trying to compensate for the tails or more trying to compensate for having light tails. So that when you pick it up in your hand, just the whole thing has weight to it. You feel like you got something worth your money. And then the other ones will invest in pretty tails and then they will skimp out on the handles. So the tails are making up for why you're buying. It's, it's so, all crap either way. <laughs> but So the word is balance in value here. So we want the correct tails to be on the correct handle that is weighted correctly. And the weight should be to the pivot point. So mine are all weighted to the upper Turk's head. And the upper Turk's head is the separation between the handle to the tails. That's where all mine are balanced. I've got videos of them being balanced that whole way, but you pull one, anyone out, stick it on your finger. So my handles have compensated for the length of the tails to the pivot point from where they separate. And then it's down to operator how you use it. But you well, should be able to pick up anyone that says they're quality and stick it on your finger. You don't need any special tools. Just stick it on your finger, put it right at the tails and the handle transition, whatever that may be by design. You put it in that point and it should balance. And if it doesn't balance, the tails probably will fall off or the handle will fall backwards. Then there's a math problem that goes there and which direction you go is so many variables going to that. You're a wealth of information, and anybody that needs to know more about floggers, contact Marcus at the website. It's on the show page, and he will certainly set you up with a flogger that will get the job done for your specific purpose. 
Absolutely. All right, Mark, it's great talking to you, and we will talk to you soon. And thanks for being on the show in the new year. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. You have been listening to the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast, and we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max.